Welcome to another episode of the Drama New South Wales podcast. Today I speak to Nicole James about the final instalment of our Studies in Drama and Theatre series, The Voice of Women in Theatre, a topic that many of you may know I am incredibly passionate about. So who better to get on to speak about it than Nicole James, a fellow teacher who is just as passionate as myself in teaching this area really well and giving a lot of advice on what it means to look at this rubric and understand it in time for exams. I hope you get as much from this discussion as I did. Nicole is a graduate from the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts with a certificate in musical theatre. She also holds a Bachelor of Arts from Curtin University in Perth, where she studied performance studies and journalism, before going on to complete a grad dip in secondary drama education. Nicole began her career as a drama teacher at Redlands in 2006, before commencing as the head of drama at King Coppel Rose Bay School in 2013. In her eighth year now at King Coppel, Nicole teaches young women who are strongly encouraged to create, develop and assert their own voices. So shifting to the voice of women topic in its infancy year was a motivated and obvious choice. Thank you for coming on today to the podcast, Nicole. Thanks, Sonia, for having me. I love that we've got Nicole on today to talk about the voice of women in theatre. As a lot of people know, I'm very passionate about this topic myself. And Nicole has been one of the other teachers alongside me who has been as passionate in making this topic happen. Uh, So I think it's a fantastic uh, opportunity for the two of us to just um, talk everyone's ears off about why everyone should teach this unit. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, in that vein, this unit is a particularly new one in New South Wales. Why do you think it's a really great unit of work? I think, um, look, I think it's a great addition to the studies in drama and theatre topics. Um, It's definitely relevant and I think it's relatable. Um, But most importantly, it it celebrates the role of female playwrights and women in theatre in general. And I also think it mirrors what we're seeing in the contemporary Australian theatre scene at the moment. Mm. Well, pre pre this year anyway. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) in regards to like, we've had this surge of a celebration of women in the theatre industry in Australia. So if we just look back to, for example, STC's 2019 season, um, where according to artistic director Kit Williams, he, um, he said that there was a very deliberate female focus. So we had plays, you know, with female-orientated stories, such as Mosquitoes, Mary Stewart, Beauty Queen Blanane, um, and then all with female directors. And then we had female actors, you know, gender-blind cast in traditionally male lead roles in Lord of the Flies. And Nakia Louie, um, you know, a strong vocal female playwright, um, premiered her third play with STC. So I think it's really timely that we're seeing this topic on the HSC drama syllabus. Um, Like I said before, it's absolutely relevant. And I think it's also fantastic that this topic acknowledges the original and seminal female playwrights that they pioneered the way for others, you know, Mm. for for the females we're seeing in theatre at the moment. And we see this reflected in the structure of the selection of the prescribed play choices. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Um, Yeah, so I'll read the rubric out uh, just so everybody listening is reminded of it. The rubric says, this topic explores theoretically and experientially plays written by women 
or as a particular collaboration with women, which give expression to a female vision of human experience. Students compare two female playwrights from different contexts and consider the ways women create, develop and assert their voice in a distinctive theatrical expression. In particular, the roles and characters, issues and situations depicted, the maintaining or breaking of stereotypes and socio-cultural judgments made about women are considered. Students engage with the play's dramatic forms of, and techniques, performance styles and conventions to explore how varied issues affecting women's equality, status and identities are voiced. There's a lot in there. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think are <laughs> really important things to kind of pull out of that rubric when you first look at it? Uh, look, it's, it's a, it's a, like I re we read it with students initially and we unpack it and the first glance, I'm like, get your highlighters out, girls, because there's so much in here and every, like every rubric in the drum syllabus, every word plays a role and we have to unpack these with the students at the start of every unit. Um, so if we look at, if we break down this one, the key phrases, what we're really exploring and acknowledging. So first of all, that these plays give expression to a female vision of human experience. So what is unique to women's encounters um, based upon, you know, that distinctive expression? So based upon, you know, their past or what's happened in the past or still current circumstances, and this is where we hear, you know, that term, the distinctive features of women's voices. Mm. Um, and then, I, and the big one for me is this differing contexts. So using two female playwrights from different contexts to explore the experiences through the medium of theatre. And, and this is where the word compare, right, comes into this rubric, because we don't see this in, in other rubrics, or not all of them anyway. So... And the students ask this all the time, like the word compare. Absolutely, we need to address that. Mm. So then we get what is being voiced, you know, what is being voiced. And this is the, these are the types of characters, the issues and situations, the maintaining and breaking of the stereotypes and the sociocultural judgments um, within their, within their contexts. And then how is it being voiced? So is it through the dramatic structure? And in this case, some of these female playwrights, their structure is unique and innovative and new. Um, is it through the techniques? Is it through the performance styles and the conventions of the plays? Um, so when I break this rubric down with students, some of the questions we look at are, you know, why, why women voices and why now? And that's why we need to look at the context of um, women in theatre history in general. Mm. Um, what are these stories and who are these women? Mm. And how have the playwrights dismantled or reinvented the more traditional dramatic forms or styles that have come before them to better serve their stories and their voices as females within mm. their own contexts? And also what might we expect to find within their distinctive creative expression? So is it identity issues? Is it status um, is it a search for equality, socio-cultural judgments made about them or stereotypes, you know, and as we start to question this, of course, this is what we find embedded within all of these plays. Mm, yeah, excellent. That's a great overview. I, I think as well, one, this, one of my pet peeves with this unit of work is... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> the voice of women in theatre. Yes. <laughs> Singular. <laughs> um, when it's quite clearly the voices of women yes. in theatre. And even within the rubric, it basically says that because it's saying 
from different contexts and about yeah. different things. And so for us to write saying there is one voice for women is uh, so misrepresenting the heart of this rubric. So um, I think every teacher out there should just add a little S to the end of the <laughs> voice <laughs> so that it's very clear from the start that it is not one particular view but indeed many views. Yeah. Um, just coming back to one of the things that you mentioned in the rubric, it mm. does use the word compare and you're right mm. in saying that that's very unique to this um, rubric. Does this mean that students will likely have to compare the plays that they study at some point? And how do you approach the teaching of this unit to ensure that there is a good comparison? Yeah, like I said, my students ask this all the time because we, um, I teach Australian theatre first and then we come to this topic. So they're like, well, the word compare wasn't in that rubric, but we're seeing it here. Um, and the answer is yes. The rubric asks us to compare the two chosen plays. So I tell them they should expect a question that would also ask for this. Um, and we saw this in the 2019 yeah. HSE exam question. So... Um, so we do Top Girls and Jump for Jordan at my school. And in the first year of teaching this topic, I structured the unit very similar to how I teach um, contemporary Australian drama, um, where we did, you know, four, four to five weeks roughly of each play in its sort of own entity and then spent sort of the end of the unit consolidating the two and obviously our little bit of term three revision time yeah. to use that time to explicitly and more formally compare the two plays in the lead up to the exams. But then upon reflection um, and, yeah, sort of going back to that word compare and its importance in the rubric, I shuffled things around this year and restructured it to teach the two plays side by side in a much more visibly comparable way. Mm. And I feel that this generally worked better for me and my students. Um, I was initially worried that students may confuse aspects of the two plays doing it this way. However, with a, with a more like the good structure, such as, you know, for example, we might spend a week or so comparing how both plays use dramatic structure mm. and then another week on how they subvert stereotypes. And this worked really well. So students, what they started to do was um, make their own direct comparisons, which I necessarily hadn't necessarily um, picked up on. Like they go, oh, the sister relationships in Top Girls and Jump for Jordan. So um, they're noticing how both sets of siblings are in a way portrayed as opposites and therefore how that magnifies the voices of Marlene compared to Joyce and Sophie in contrast to her sister. Mm -hmm. um, Yes, that was really interesting. And the other thing to note in the prescribed list of plays for this topic is that we're being asked to select either Top Girls or The Rover and then one of the four more contemporary Australian plays. And this is, well, I think it is, I'm sure it is, absolutely purposeful in asking us to find and see the similarities um, as well as the contrasts mm -hmm. due to the plays differing contexts over time. Um, yeah, yeah so, so the topic has definitely been specifically designed for us to make comparisons. Yes. So, yes, don't ignore this and, and try to embed it into the structure of how you teach the unit. Um, like I said, the first year I did it differently. It still worked, but I found that um, this was more visible for the students um, mm -hmm. and hopefully it was a bit easier for them to digest. 
Yeah, and I find I teach them side by side as well, the mm-hmm. two plays, and I definitely find that in the uh, kind of exploration and workshopping of these diff- two different plays, there is a lot of aha moments for students as they realise the progression in society as well. So they might be doing a scene from Top Girls and very similar situation or conversation about women and relationships will be occurring in Jump for Jordan, but they're completely different contexts as far as one's a lesbian relationship and one's a straight relationship. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of aha moments for them going, oh, I see the change that's happened, not just in the two different plays, but societally there's a huge change that's happened for women that means the voices that we're hearing now in a more contemporary piece is um, is definitely showing a lot of the movement and change that has occurred. Um, so I think you're right in saying it's really nice to do them side by side like that. Yeah, yeah. Going on to context, do you think there is much of a, like much that needs to be explored with context? And do you teach some of the basics of feminism in the Western world in order for students to understand that context? And basically, if you do that, how do you do it? (laughs) Yeah, look, in this topic, absolutely, yes. Um, I think I'm quoting you, Sonia, if I say context is everything in this topic. Because if we look at the rubric where it states, you know, um, for example, issues and situations depicted, um, blah, 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 in light of the play's political, social and cultural context, you know, it's embedded in the rubric. We need to, students need to know and appreciate what these differing contexts actually are before they can really grapple why women have the need to assert their voices within them. Um, And whilst I've found that most of my students have heard of or they know about the waves of feminism, they don't necessarily have a deep understanding of them or they can't, they might not be able to tell me when they even occurred. So, yes, we need to touch on this at the top of the unit. Um, I don't, look, it's probably quite difficult, I'd probably say even near impossible to teach top girls if the students don't have at least some understanding of the second wave of feminism or who Margaret Thatcher is. Um, And likewise with Jump for Jordan and intersectional feminism. Um, They've sure, most of them have heard these terms before, but like I said, they don't have um, an innate understanding or anything sort of beyond, I've heard of that term before and I think this is what it represents. Mm. So um, I'm gonna mention a really great and succinct resource that you put me on to, um, which the students love, which is the short video clips called Waves of Feminism from the Sydney Opera House Talks and Ideas. Um, And these can be accessed online. So um, I find that these are a great introductory tool that students really respond to um, and they understand as a basic, um, you know, as a basic sort of either refresher or um, an introduction to the Waves of Feminism if they need that level. Mm, mm. Um, another introductory activity um, that I've done I'd call it like a prior knowledge playwright list Um, so students can have a time limit to individually write down a list of all the playwrights that they know Um, and of course by the end you know at the time they've got Shakespeare and Brecht and Chekhov and Ibsen and Beckett and all of those Tennessee Williams Um, Hopefully they've got Lally Katz and Jane Harrison on there because we've just studied it. But um, generally, they're the only two 
female playwrights that they can recall or think of. So that prompts us to, um, you know, have a discussion and an analysis into the importance of this topic um, and the history of women in theatre in general and what made Carol Churchill so significant and, you know, why she's known as a pioneer. So that's another interesting little sort of intro to spark conversation into Mm. the context of the unit. Mm. So, yeah, I'd say that students definitely need a refresher or an intro into the context of these plays that they're studying, where they sit in time, in history. Um, But, of course, again, not turning it into, you know, a modern history course or a modern history lesson. So maybe find it, try to find a way to make it visual um, or experiential, embed it into a practical workshop. Um, Yeah, so keep it succinct, try not to get bogged down in the context. But, yes, I definitely think um, you have to... Um, address this with students. Don't just assume that they have an understanding on um, feminism, the waves of feminism. Um, Like I said, most of mine could tell me what the waves are and that's about it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I have found it. I mean, we both um, teach in private girls schools and I have found it absolutely amazing how little the girls do actually know about feminism um, and the context for these plays. Um, You're right in saying I think it's really important that we embed this in, in experiential work and indeed in the plays where possible to kind of give them that context as well. Um, one of the things I sometimes do is in the final scene of Top Girls, we perform um, that conversation between Joyce and Marlene and I get them to write down everything that um, Marlene kind of speaks about and is concerned about in her life and everything that Joyce kind of speaks about and is concerned about in her life and then talk about, you know, what are these two women affected by or impacted by and what are their kind of ideas of the future for women and then that's a really lovely introduction as well into the branches of feminism when it comes to bourgeois feminists like Marlene and Mm -hmm. then materialist feminists um, like Joyce who don't even half the time realize they are a feminist yeah Um, but their class situation places them in a very different context to a bourgeois feminist like Marlene and um I think that's an also um, an amazing moment. I'm sure you'll attest to this as well, where the girls in the schools that we teach go, oh, so we're all bourgeois feminists. And I think they start to have their (laughs) world expanded a little bit more. Um, And in particular with these plays, which is really nice because they start to see, oh, maybe there is more than just Marlene in what it means to be a woman in this world. Yeah. What do you find students struggle with most with this unit of work and how can they begin to improve that? Uh, Look, it's probably the same as any of the other topics um, that also explore place groups. Um, That is making sure that the students end up writing about the plays on the stage and not the page, right? So as usual, making sure that they're on their feet, they're exploring these plays experientially, then in turn using their workshops and performance experiences. So the essay doesn't become this literally an analysis um, of the context of the plays. Um, There's a tendency for some students to get so bogged down in what each playwright was trying to say, how they were using their voice. So, and and what their, sorry, what their version of the female voice or experience was. So the essay 
um, can run the risk of becoming a quote fest, if you yeah. like, at the expense of capturing those key moments they've workshopped on the stage and writing about these evocatively. Um, I also find um, the opening scene of Top Girls can be really, it can be quite hard for students to digest initially um, with Churchill's overlapping dialogue convention, mm. especially if they've attempted to read the script in their head before <laughs> commencing the class workshop. I mean, uh, that's near impossible. I don't, yeah. you can't read um, the, the dinner party scene no, in your head no. and understand it. So um, it's really worthwhile investing some time when initially staging this scene or excerpts of this scene, because it's really long, to ensure that they're getting that overlap correct. Because then when they do, they can really see and fully grasp what Churchill's intent behind it was, especially at that moment when, you know, for example, they hear Lady Nisha or another gets overlapped and cut off mm. when she's reaching that pivotal moment in her dialogue and they go, but we missed that, we missed that. And they're like, that's the point, girls. Like, well, that's the point. They they realise the symbolism of women not being heard or silenced and the genius of Churchill with this technique. Mm. Um, yeah, so I just investing some time to make sure they're understanding how that convention works before um, they stage it on their own. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think for a while Top Girls was an English text on the English mm. uh, prescribed list. Yeah. So therefore there's a lot of material out there on Top Girls that kind of, uh, if students are going and doing their own study. Yeah, a um, lot. And yeah. very, yeah, very analytical and, I mean, amazing. And some of it's useful, but it's then got to be embedded back into how we explore it in the drama classroom. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I've been frustrated with students in the past where they've written things and I think this is an English, yeah. this is English, this is not drama. And I've seen you do the workshop, but you're still writing about it from that English yeah. perspective. So, yeah, making sure our students are doing that. Um, do you have any standout workshops or ideas that seem to work really well with this unit of work? It's only been around for a short amount of time, so it's still early days, but has anything kind of popped out to you? Um, I think obviously like we, we stage key moments, we, stage, we select scenes to stage and workshop in class. Um, we can't do the whole play. There's just not enough time. Um, so the scenes in both plays that subvert stereotypes. I find my students really latch onto these and really um, enjoy playing the contrast. They get into these scenes, they push their staging choices to show the stark contrasting differences between like Marlene and Mrs. Kidd, for example, um, or the little gift that Abella gives us in Jump for Jordan with avenging Azza versus the real Azza. Um, yeah, just stage the scenes. Don't attempt to like read or stage the whole play. Make the theatre, yeah. Look, I also film our class workshops yeah. um, and dump basically every clip into a shared file on our school database. And so students have access to this file to refer back to throughout the course, but pertinently now as they approach the HSC. Because yeah. um, there might be a performance or a scene they did in term one that they've forgotten about or, you know, a, another group did that they didn't write about at the time, but now they're like, oh, yeah, I should have that up my sleeve. So... Um, that's a great revision tool also. Yeah, and a uh, hot tip to teachers out there with COVID, I found that I was so thankful that I had recorded 
every single workshop that I had done last year with my yeah, yeah. <laughs> because this year I had to kind of get some of them looking at what groups had done last year yeah. for it because we were learning online. So um, yeah, filming all your workshops is a very good thing. What are some common mistakes that students make when writing essays for the unit and how can they ensure that they don't make those essays in the future? Uh, look, we've, I've probably touched on this slightly already, but the topic the topic's still in its infancy, but based upon last year's exam and the trials of my students, the most common mistake I would say is, like I um, said before, the risk of writing about these plays as an analysis of issues and ideas yeah. within the context of the play. Um, and look, this is a common thread. We see it in um, the Australian drama topic as well. So, yes... We do need to address the issues, absolutely, but then we need to find a way to embed these examples within their experiences of the plays on the stage. Mm. Um, and another thing that's sort of come to my attention with this topic is we've only had one HSC exam for this topic, so very new. But last year's question um, sort of reminded me of the need to unpack and interpret every word in the question. And obviously that sounds so obvious, um, like it's a no-brainer, but if I can, I just remind everyone what the 2019 question was. Um, compare how playwrights create distinctive female voice on the stage through role and identity. Mm. So at first glance, you know, it seems like a pretty, it, uh, to me, it seems like a pretty straightforward question. When my students came out of the exam, they were like, yeah, really happy with the question. They thought it was <laughs> straightforward. And look, um, but... I think the, the, the term in there that probably threw some of them um, upon reflection is the word playwrights. Um, and the comments from the Marking Centre in regards to this question also indicated the importance of, you know, giving clarity on the, on the word playwright's voice, mm. um, as opposed to, I suppose what I'm getting at, as opposed to talking about it from the perspective of other directors or other productions of these plays or themselves as the actors or directors in their own staging. So while it's absolutely necessary to, to do, still do that, I think finding that link between um, you've still got to acknowledge what the playwright's original intent, what their voice was, and then find the way to link that to when I staged, you know, this scene in Top Girls. Um, if you don't at first acknowledge what the playwright's voice was or intent was. You're not really answering that question. Um, and I yeah. wonder if, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm making sense. I'm kind of rambling no, now. But. <laughs> I mean, because even just what we've just spoken about, it threw students in many ways, I think, because we as teachers had gone on about making sure we don't write English essays. Um, and so they were, in some ways, they knew all that information about the playwrights and the context yeah. and what their intent was. But they were trying to avoid writing too much about the playwright. That's right. And so, and just uh, quoting from yeah. the, the play. And yeah. Um, so I suppose it's that fine line between acknowledging the playwright's voice and then embedding that into their own staging choices. So it, yeah. Yeah, and I think that and that is where the complexity of this rubric really is because it's tying mm. together of that context of the playwright of the intention and of the experience and what that says holistically about women and issues and sociocultural judgments and all of those things uh, to be able to write that in 40 minutes um, or 45 minutes, essentially 
is a it's a huge ordeal. Yeah, <laughs> as is every question and area of the you know um, of the HSC drama syllabus. But mm-hmm. I think in particular for a new one, there it was a challenge for students to mm-hmm. grapple with every aspect of that question, as you said. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying then is um, a common mistake is not ensuring that you spend enough time planning or thinking about what this question is actually asking you. Um, And that one of the hints we could give you is like actually stop, um, break down every part of that question and know exactly what has to be kind of referred to in your essay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, So it's coming up to exam time as we're recording this. We're in the holidays before term four. What do you suggest that students do to revise for this topic area before their exams in November? I think at the at this stage, um, you know, at the end of term three, leading into the HSC, look, I've just encouraged my students, I think one of the best things they can do at this point in time is to pick up the plays and reread them again. Um, but with a director's hat on. Um, you know, sure, they've staged a number of these moments, they've workshopped key scenes, but what else is there that they may have missed initially or forgotten about since term one? Or what about the scenes we didn't explore in class um, when we studied this topic? And if you've got your director's hat on now and look at the play as a whole entity, you know, what are you missing? Is there something that's, that's usable or jumping out to you that you may have overlooked or not have thought about before? So sometimes just picking up the plays again and reimagining every scene can be helpful revision. Yeah, not forgetting to remind students that the examples that they write about can absolutely be imagined experiences. They don't need to have physically done them in class. Yes, especially Um, in 2020 where everybody was a little bit different. Yeah. I also try to encourage mine into, at this point of the year, collaborative study revision as well. You know, share the wisdom, share your knowledge on these plays. Um, write an essay with a friend where, you know, one writes the intro, then one writes the first paragraph and pass it back and forward between the two of you. Um, yeah, share the knowledge. Um, and obviously writing to a specific question. I mean, I'm very against generic essays. I won't accept at this point in the year, no generic essays, take your knowledge, take your experiences of the plays and manipulate it to a specific question. Yeah. Which is difficult given that we've only had one year of the, um, of the questions being yeah. done. Um, but I always encourage students to write their own based off the rubric. I mean, that's where yeah. the question's going to come from. So there's a plethora of questions that you can imagine that might come from that rubric. Yeah, exactly. And that's a good little, you know, you can set that up as a class activity as well. And then they've got a bank of questions that they can refer to. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Um, any other comments about the voice voices of women in theatre? <laughs> um, look, it's a it is a great unit. Unit. Um, I'm about to go back to back for a third year in a row. So um, I suppose just that I I sometimes wonder teaching at an all girls school, as both you and I do, it may seem a more obvious choice of topic um, than those in either co-educational or all boys settings. But I'd love to know and love to see if any boys are studying this topic and these plays, because why shouldn't they, you know, (laughs) why shouldn't they? It's important unit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I always say when teachers, because I've presented a couple of times on this unit and teachers say to me, you know, but I just, I teach a whole group of boys and I think they'll just disengage with this. And I always say to them, well, for hundreds of years, women have only worked with plays written by men. Exactly, exactly. In the classroom and played male characters and they could still engage with it and understand it. Um, so why not boys? And in fact, in this day and age, I think it would be amazing for some of these young boys to mm. engage with um, the concepts or ideas that are being explored in these plays. I have heard of co-ed schools, but I'm yet to hear of a boys' school. <laughs> mm. On that, um, Sonia, there's a great quote from, um, can I, if, I, if you can divulge me and I'll, I'll read it. It's the yes. last um, statement from, again, a, another resource that you put me on to, Sue Ellen Case's um, book, Feminism and Theatre. Yes. And in her closing statement, she says, the feminist in theatre can create the laboratory in which the single most effective mode of repression, gender, can be exposed, dismantled and removed. The same laboratory may produce the representation of a subject who is liberated from the repressions of the past and capable of signalling a new age for both men and women. And isn't that the power of theatre, right? So absolutely, everyone can study this unit. You don't have to be female. I love that you ended that on a quote from Feminism. Yay! One of my favourite books. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and ideas for this unit of work. Um, as we've said, it's a very new unit and so there's so much um, that could be done with it and that we continue to learn from it as well. Um, but I'm glad you were able to come and share some of your thoughts today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And that brings to the end our series in studies in drama and theatre. We hope you found it helpful, especially in the lead up to the exams in Term 4. From everyone in Drama New South Wales, best of luck to any students who may have been listening to this series. And we hope you take on board what these experts have told you. Don't worry, this is not the end of the podcast. We have many more episodes to come and the summer holidays will see us record many of those. If you have any ideas, please get in touch with us and let us know what you would like to hear from us on the podcast. As always, check us out on Instagram or Facebook and sign up to be a member in 2021.